0: Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. We hope these messages encourage, convict, and inspire you to love and follow Jesus more faithfully as we seek to saturate our city with the hope of the gospel. Our online resources are meant to serve you, but they aren't a replacement for the face-to-face relationships that we were built for. So we really hope that if you're in Owensboro, you'll join us in person on a Sunday morning. And if you live elsewhere, you'll find a local church in your community where you can put down roots and find family. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc. All right. Um, I want to say
1: something real quickly. Um, I don't know some of the others that were mentioned, but one thing I do know, is um, I went through a very difficult and dark time. And Derek and April Streisner were some of the first people that I reached out to and helped me. And so I trust that every one of us in here is petitioning the Father for a supernatural grace and mercy in their lives. Amen. You guys can say amen today. It's okay. All right. Well, good morning for the majority of you that uh, don't know me. uh, My name is Roger Chilton, and I'm one of the pastors at Matthew's Table, commonly referred to as the drug church or the recovery church. Not something necessarily I've labeled that, but somehow our lovely community has, which immediately may have you wonder why I would be here preaching in regards to wisdom. Y'all are rich church And I'm from a poor church. And by rich, I mean wisdom. You guys are busting at the seams with godly, wise brothers and sisters, whereas I serve at a church with many new in their faith, young Christians recently converted, to which whether you realize it or not, Pleasant Valley would get a lot of credit for any of the fruit being produced there simply because of the influence and the investment in my life over the years. This was my home church, and I have a long list of names that was and still is directly responsible for my spiritual growth and my personal discipleship. So I may be biased Uh, when I say this, but I stand on this statement. Pleasant Valley is the best church in Owensboro, Kentucky. Nothing? Jameis is watching, just so you know. He's texted me uh, early already. Um, But seriously, like I literally tell people uh, all the time is like, you know, look like as a pastor in the community talking and they, you know, hey, where do you go church? Well, I don't have a church. And so the conversation unfolds and I'll be like, well, listen, if you don't have a problem with your purse possibly being stolen or having to walk through like a cloud of smoke to get to the sanctuary, you should definitely go check out Pleasant Valley Church, right? Which brings us back to the question. Why would Jameis ask me to come and preach from the Book of Wisdom? And if we're keeping it real, that seems very unwise, right? Unless I had something to offer. Think about it for just a second. An unchurched or a convicted felon with no degrees, no seminary training, no formal education to preach to a church rich in wisdom would be like asking Jameis to play one-on-one basketball against LeBron James for all the marbles. Seriously, like if if I stood up here and I said, check this out, I've talked to LeBron James this morning. He said he'd fully fund your entire church building campaign. As long as Jameis beats him in one-on-one basketball, every one of you would be like, "Uh, come again, Because that comparison seems to be unfair, right? Unless you knew that Jameis was an all-star shooting guard for the Trigg County Wildcats, not to mention he literally scored the most points for the Pleasant Valley Mighty Doves in the local church league basketball. Or at least that's what he's told me. Y'all are laughing, I don't know. But he might not look like much, but certainly would have a lot to offer in a one-on-one. So maybe we shouldn't be so judgmental. But what I bring to the table this morning is this. A proverb by definition is a short, concise statement revealing truth. And truth has power a supernatural kind of power that takes a guy like me, unchurched, uneducated, and unlikely to ever be anything more than what I knew as far as a life of crime from death to life, radically changing the course of my life. That's the kind of truth that the Word of God has. Matter of fact, check this out. My first experience with the Word of God was encountering a proverb. I was we'll call it intoxicated, in jail, making fun of all the guys that were going to church while we were in there. And so I took their Bible from them and I was going to mock them for their religious beliefs, making fun of the word of God and a little insight. I was back in jail for the second time in six months on the same drug charges. And this is what I run across. I flipped the Bible open, and I landed on Proverbs twenty six eleven, Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. A random flip through the scriptures, and I land on the one verse that cuts me wide open. So I quickly threw it down and I drew everyone's attention away from it because I felt like I'd been punched in the gut and I was desperately gasping for air. And while one of the greatest early theologians, Augustine says, where scripture speaks, God speaks. Where scripture speaks, God speaks. I share that not to make a case for me being a good choice to preach this morning, but rather to make a case that the wisdom of God found in the living word of God is absolute truth. And rightfully divided, we all stand to benefit despite who's preaching, despite where you come from, despite what you possibly have done in your past, and regardless of how long you've been a Christian. You guys have been studying the book of Proverbs and learning important truths, divine truisms, which are communicated by way of contrasting wisdom and foolishness, full of practical wisdom, oftentimes using metaphors and similes. And so I picked chapter 26, which is full of similes, and similes are just where you're contrasting uh, one thing to another for an illustrative purpose similar to what I've already done this morning by saying Jameis asking me to preach here is like him playing LeBron James one-on-one, right? But rather than expounding the whole chapter where we just walk through verse by verse, I want to focus on one proverb this morning that kind of appears to be out of place within the context of the passage just because of how it's written full of similes, um, because It's not a comparison of anything, but rather it's a question that's being asked that reveals a consistent theme, a truth within the whole of both the Proverbs and the redemption story that's being told from Genesis to Revelation. The proverb is 26 verse 12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There's more, there's more hope for a fool than for him. And before we dig in to this, I want to tell you about or kind of introduce to you Mr. T. Now, I realize some of you aren't necessarily old enough to remember who Mr. T is, but in the 80s, he was a famous actor and wrestler who coined the phrase, I pity the fool. So if you were to hear him say that, it'd be like, I pity the fool. And people would be scared of that because of the way that he looked, right? He was he was a rough-looking fella. He was a bit intimidating who had grown up in the streets of Chicago and had a very rough life. Now, we would agree he didn't look like much in terms of a source of wisdom, but it turns out that he was, in fact, and still is a man of God who also had done a series of his own Proverbs or just wise sayings that he produced that were tenderhearted and clearly based on biblical principles. Things like be kind to your enemies, be generous to people um, who might not deserve it, et cetera, et cetera. And my point with bringing him into this, which will make more sense later, is that although he may have been overlooked as a source of wisdom, he pitied the fool. He felt sorry for those who are foolish. And as someone that's in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, who once was the dog that was returning to his own vomit, when I read the Proverbs, there's a part of me that can't help but just pity the fool. Be sorry for those who don't know Jesus. And as we get to going in this, and, and I start raising my voice, I hope you don't think that I'm just trying to wake up. Whoever's sleeping in here, it's just this passion that I have that the Lord has given me, knowing the truth today. Back to our verse. I can't help but find it interesting that when we consider the wisest man to ever live, ask a rhetorical question. A rhetorical question just meaning asking a question that we already have the answer to because it seems like a slap against his face and to his own legacy. But honestly, what we find and what we learn is that it teaches us a valuable lesson that I think the whole church needs to be reminded of frequently because historically speaking god has revealed himself to the people of god and graciously provided us with the living word of god to know how to live our lives for god but always somewhere along the journey we end up relying in our own wisdom as opposed to god's wisdom specifically my experience within the church is we can have wisdom idols. We come to understand the truths of God by way of theology or maybe just deep study of dead theologians. And what I've found is that it typically produces an arrogance towards anyone that's beneath our level of comprehension. Our knowledge grows and we get puffed up Hungry for more wisdom and deeper truths while compromising on the things that God has rescued us for. Some of the smartest Christians I know, brilliant men and women, have made the mistake of twisting the scriptures to suit their own sin, all based on their newfound knowledge that's supposed to be superior to the simplicity of God's written and spoken word. And when confronted, they flex their wisdom muscles, attempting to outwit others with some fancy words and fancy phrases. It shouldn't be a surprise, though, if you understand the nature of God and the nature of man. We always have and we always will try to manipulate the truth to benefit ourselves and not others. Solomon did. He was made king over Israel. He was granted a wisdom never seen under the sun He was distinguished as the wisest king to ever rule over any nation. He was the wisest man to ever live who later abused his God-given privilege for his own selfish desires by having hundreds of wives. And it's probably why he said in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Seems simple, right? Trust the Lord, don't trust yourself. In all you do, recognize the grace given to you and give glory to God. Give credit to God for the grace in your life, And never think you're wiser than the living God, turning away from what God has already said was evil. Our growing in the grace and knowledge of God should never produce pride, but rather humility, because our thoughts are not his thoughts, and our ways are not his ways. And yet every person the Bible tells about does that very same thing. You can go back as far as uh, one of the highest angels in heaven named Lucifer, who did not want to worship God, but wanted the worship of all things. And so his pride got him kicked out of heaven. And then we can talk about Abraham living in a pagan nation, worshiping moon gods, and God reveals himself to him and calls him out with a, with a special task that he's gonna be the, the father of many nations as great as the stars, and he gives him a promise of a son that will come. And somewhere along the journey, he, he, decide, he gets weary of waiting on the promised son, and he takes matters into his own hands, and he has his own son. Or Moses, who was asked to do uh, miraculous things, seen miraculous things to take the people of God to the promised land of God. And along the way, he, he strikes a rock and takes credit for it, giving glory to himself. For Pete's sake, just the Israelites, right? Like the entire narrative of the Old Testament is where the Israelites, the special people of God, called out by God, Heading towards the promised land, time and time again experience God in supernatural ways and worship God, and then not much longer after that, they begin to worship false gods. David, you know the story of him, and so I could go on and on. Why would we ever get to a place where we think that we are wiser than any of them? Proverbs 16:18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 11.2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. With the humble is wisdom. I'll be the first to admit, I don't look like much. In the grand scheme of things, literally like when I came into church earlier, the the greeting team, it did an amazing job. They greeted me and they were trying to point me to the coffee and stuff. And, and I just mentioned I was, you know, I'm kind of looking for the media team. I'm going to be preaching today. And the look on their face was priceless. They were just kind of like, come again? I'm kidding. That didn't really happen. You could even say I'm a lot like a Mr. T among local theologians and biblical scholars. Matter of fact, when when I get together with some of the who's who in the Christian circles, I stick out like the proverbial sore thumb, right? And I'm okay with that because today I'm just grateful to know the truth. The Lord has been kind and generous to rescue me literally from the pits of hell and afforded me an extraordinary measure of pity for the fool who separated from Christ and why an accurate view of ourselves in relation to the sovereign creator of the universe is according to our proverb this morning, the fuel to our tank, which motivates a heart for others, true humility true never being wise in our own eyes, a true humility overwhelmed by the grace of God in our lives. I shared this last week when I was preaching at Eaton Memorial Baptist, and and I wanna share it again because I just, I love it, right? D.T. Niles, the late Methodist preacher, he said, I'm just a beggar telling other beggars where to find the bread. Huh? That's That's a good thought, right? I'm just a beggar telling other beggars where to find the bread. Church, do you pity the fool? Do you feel sorry for the people that you know right now that's separated from Christ? Charles Spurgeon says, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. That hurts. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. And being a part of church leadership and doing ministry over the last 15 years, I've sat through plenty of business meetings where we spent more time arguing about profit and loss and policies and procedures, not to mention the Bible studies where we spent more time arguing about theological differences as opposed to how we win more folks to Christ and admitting that makes me a hypocrite, but I like to call things what they are, in hopes of the same conviction that I have in my heart may be the same in your heart. Are you talking about Jesus to people who don't know Jesus? I had a wonderful debate with a Jehovah's Witness this past week. I was in Starbucks with a buddy of mine, and we were uh, we were just talking, you know, all the important stuff, theology and how he was wrong and I was right and I'm just kidding. But we were just kind of talking and this Jehovah's Witness approaches me and so we begin to have this gracious dialogue. Went on for like 45 minutes and we were just kind of talking back and forth and and I was walking him through Old Testament and some New Testament and just really proving to him that that he he needed to consider some of these things and and when we got to the end like um I walked away from that conversation And as I was walking away, I was thinking to myself, man, I really outdid that guy, right? Like, I was just glorying in the wisdom that I had that really was proving him wrong. And here's the problem. What you might not know about the Jehovah's Witnesses is that they don't believe in hell. So, they believe in something called the doctrine of of annihilation. And so, that topic had come up, and we talked through that a little bit, and, and again, as I was walking away and just thinking about some of these things, I was thinking about uh, how wise I had been, and, and in that moment, the Holy Spirit just kind of convicted me and kind of pricked my heart, and it was, like, it was like God was saying to me, you did a great job, Roger. The question is, why did he approach you? Why did he engage with you? Yeah, you know about hell, but he don't. You know about Christ. He believes a false Christ. But in your wisdom and in your glory, you refuse to engage him. He engaged you. How would I ever be as convincing to him as he is to me if I ain't fighting for his soul? Right? I share that with you because it made me think a lot this week how aggressive some of the Jehovah's Witnesses is, and I certainly appreciate what they're willing to do, but if hell is real and I'm right, why am I not engaging him? And why my prayer for each of us has been that this proverb serves somewhat as a punch to the gut, causing us to briefly lose our breath because of the power that slaps the silly out of us literally just slaps the silly out of the church, right? And I realize that may offend someone, and at this point, you may be thinking, what is Jameis doing? Who is this guy to say such things and and kind of anticipating that? I came prepared to offer someone far greater and smarter than myself that you might be willing to listen to. The great reformer Martin Luther was once quoted saying, The kingdom is to be in the midst of your enemies, and he who will not suffer this does not want to be of the kingdom of Christ. He wants to be among friends, to sit among roses and lilies, not with the bad people, but the devout people. Oh, you blasphemers and betrayers of Christ. If Christ had done what you are doing, who would have been spared? Certainly not me. Let's listen to the last part of our proverb again. There's more hope for the fool than for the believer who's wise in his own eyes, meaning the man who in his conceit finds himself to be wise apart from God's wisdom is more hopeless than the one who doesn't know God at all, which in my mind, thinking about that, creates an interesting turn of events. The author who we all agree is the Holy Spirit inspiring Solomon to write this now pities me when I rely more on my own wisdom than on the one who knows no wisdom at all. And why this should serve again as a reminder for the purpose to which we've been saved. I don't want you to hear me say anything I'm not saying. To seek wisdom and pursue godliness is a good thing. As long as the purpose keeps it about the main thing, Christ Jesus, where we're we're growing to look more like him, where it inspires and motivates us to go reach more for him. I was fortunate to attend the final together for the gospel last year. And man, I was kind of like a Kid on you know, on Christmas Day, like I was so excited at uh, the idea of just being in the presence of many giants of the faith. Like it was it was an impressive list of gospel preachers that many of you guys would know very well. What I like to think of as like rock stars of Christianity, in my opinion: Alistair Begg, H B. Charles, David Platt, John Piper, Mark Dever, and then there was this other guy this other guy that in comparison to them wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily seem like he would be much. And it was a guy that I had never uh, heard preach before, but I knew that he was a Christian rapper. His name was Shy Lynn, and he had came from the streets. And I'm here to tell you, he preached the roof off that place. Like he literally preached the britches off all those rock stars. The sermon's online. You can get on YouTube and watch it. But I'm telling you, it's probably one of the most powerful sermons I've ever heard my entire life. And all he did was preach from one verse. One verse, 2 Timothy 2 verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my life gospel. Remember Jesus Christ. Now this is crazy because all these people are coming. Most of them are either pastors or pastor interns or whatever fancy words y'all want to throw at it. But it's a bunch of men and women who love Jesus and they just want to, they aspire to look like all these rock stars. This dude comes in and drops the bomb on them. I'm telling you, blew me away. I just sit there with like my mouth open thinking that that was good. That was, but how dare him tell me to remember Jesus Christ? That's the dumbest thing I ever heard, right? And using some of his sermon highlights, just to make the point that we've been talking about this morning, he talked about how the church, highly educated, specifically in like reform circles, in all of its doctrinal and theological truths can be a stumbling block for making sense of our reality and our calling to suffer for the gospel. And while we need to be reminded often, in the same way, Paul reminds Timothy. Now get this, Timothy was a man raised in the scriptures. Timothy was raised with a Christian family. Timothy was discipled by the apostle Paul himself. And even being a pastor at the time that Paul is pinning him this letter which we could assume that might have offended Timothy, given all the things that I just told you about Timothy, right? However, again, there seems to be much wisdom found in living under a continuous warning that we can never forget Jesus because later in the book of Revelation, Jesus shows up and that's exactly what happened. Timothy was an elder of, of one of the mega churches in Ephesus, and Jesus tells the apostle John to write a letter to that church, and in, the, in, this, uh, in this letter to the church, Jesus starts listing all these great things that they had done and, and really lifting them up, and you're like, oh, that's nice of him to say, right? This is good, this is good, and then he says this, literally punches them in the gut, This is something I hope that none of us have to hear. Revelations chapter two, verse four, Jesus speaking to the church in Ephesus, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Can you imagine being told that by the risen savior, Jesus himself? You have lost your first love. See, so no matter where wisdom takes us, it should always lead to Jesus, who Paul also says later in Colossians 2 verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, right? And the reason is, Paul tells the church in Corinth that Jesus is the wisdom and power of God, and the message of the cross is Foolishness, the gospel of Jesus Christ is foolishness to those who are perishing, 1 Corinthians 1.18. And here's what I can tell you to be true. Unchurched people desperately seeking a solution to filling that God-given void in their heart where only God can satisfy it looks at the church, wising their way out of any kind of risk and any kind of suffering at all not willing to be, uh, not willing to be, to get into the trenches with those who are lost. And they think to themselves, if they aren't living like the one they claim to believe in, why would I believe in what they don't even believe in? Why would I believe in that if you don't believe in that? Right? If our holy huddles don't include lost people, because we're too busy discussing a book by some famous Christian author, just so no one one-ups us on the latest wisdom on whatever topic we might be talking about. And, and, and by the way, none of us that, uh, that will never agree on, why would anyone want to come to that Christian circle, right? If we offer another budget class for the poor, this is a good thing, right? We do it at Matthew's table, but we don't do life with them. Have we really helped them? Sure, they end up financially uh, stable. Sure, they, they, they quit becoming a burden to the church, but they still spend an eternity in hell, right? The gospel doesn't make sense to those who are lost, right? It's the only story told in all of human history where the hero dies for the villain. The gospel doesn't make sense to those who are lost, because it teaches everything contrary to what the world says is right and true. Grace not works, faith not merit, It's really not complicated at all. It's simple, but if our lives don't demonstrate the very thing the New Testament teaches about, the church, which Paul calls the manifold wisdom of God, revealing the mystery of the gospel to a lost world, literally his plan of salvation in the body of Christ, where Christ dwells in the believer, where we live our lives differently, radically pursuing those who don't know Jesus because our wisdom has worked ourselves out of the world, unwilling to suffer, unwilling to take risk. then as a church, I'm afraid we become the fool. As the church, I'm afraid we become the fool. Music team can start to head this way. I know another guy who didn't look like much. He was full of wisdom yet overlooked by his own people. Isaiah 53, 2, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus, the God-man, whose entire life was sacrificial, lived out for the sake of others through unconditional love, despite those same people rejecting him and changed the world. Not to exclude each of us, I don't know about you guys, but like I've read the gospel accounts. I watched the movie Passion, uh, the Passion of christ and and there's a lot of times where, especially early as a Christian, I was reading that, and I was watching the movie, and I was like, boy, they don't know where I come from i'd have mm, mm, you know i'd have, I'd have done them up right, right? But the truth is, if I had been there, I'd been in the crowd yelling, "Crucify him, crucify him I'd have picked Barabbas over Jesus." I would have done everything they did. Romans five eight. But God shows His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This this wisdom of God it just it's hard to really grasp. It sometimes it just doesn't make sense. Why would why would God do that for me? And again, when when approaching crowds of people, Jesus would look out upon them. It's recorded at least three or four different times throughout the gospel accounts where the people were more concerned about the physical benefits than the spiritual benefits. It says that he was full of compassion, full of compassion. He felt sorry for them. He had pity for their foolishness, knowing they were standing in the presence of the promised Messiah, and each of them should have known who he was, but they missed out. They missed out, and why I think if the church is discussing wisdom, it must begin and end with the wisdom and power of God, found in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who came to seek and save the lost, rescuing, redeeming, and reconciling a broken world for anyone who would call on the name of the Lord. Amen? Yeah. Which leads me to wrapping all this up. I'd rather live my life as a fool for Jesus in the eyes of the world than a wise man in the eyes of the church. Because in our own wisdom, we become fools to God. And so as we close this morning in song, I wanna ask each of you to just kind of evaluate your own life right now really reflect on what I've shared with you this morning. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Jesus fellowshiped at Matthew's house, at Matthew's table, with prostitutes and tax collectors. Do you take risk for the people who don't know Jesus? Right? Right? Do you live your life in a way that if somebody was to ask somebody else, what's so different about that bro? What's so different about that brother or sister? They're able to immediately respond, yeah, they're one of those Christians. They go out of their way to make sure I'm taken care of, that I'm loved on, that I'm encouraged, right? We just live our lives differently. And listen, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, because here's what I know to be true. I've been there. You know, if you don't know Jesus, that Jesus that I've been talking about, he stands ready this morning, arms wide open, ready to receive you, no matter what you've done, where you came from or who you are. You hear me? And I want you to hear me that, hear me say that this morning, that the risen son of God loves you and desires to have a relationship with you right? We're going to close and respond. If you'd like to respond to what God's word has been shared today in any way at all, there's going to be some people down here at the front, and I think there'll be some people uh, back there towards the doors. If you want to be prayed with, if you want to be prayed over, if you want to talk about what that relationship looks like with Jesus Christ, I'll be in the front, and we can have that conversation, okay? We can pray together. We'll pray with you. We'll pray for you whatever it is that you might need, we're here to serve you. Let's worship.
0: Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc.